Good to be here. I'm glad to finally be able to get here. I've begged and Josh for years to let me come. I've always wanted to be a part of the Fellowship of the Ring. And uh, and so I finally learned the secret handshake and the knock. And he said, okay, you can come preach. And so uh, I'm grateful to be able to be with you tonight. Turn your Bibles to the book of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 10, 11, and 12. Many of you know my kids uh, so don't hold that against me, okay? And uh, but um, I'm grateful to be uh, be their dad, and uh, so excited about what God's doing here. And for your pastor, I love Josh and uh, his heart for the nations. Uh, his heart. I go to India as well, and so uh, we've discussed the work in India that they're doing. Y'all are doing in Calcutta. And uh, I just came back from India in uh, February. I was in, I'm on the west side and go up from Mumbai and uh, Gujarat and up to Jaipur and, and all that area up in there. So in the western end of it, and y'all are in the east. So between the two of us, we all cover. It's only 1.3 billion people there. And uh, it's only about 3% Christian. So we've got our work cut out for us. But uh, it's a joy to, to serve. And now he's at the Bowery Mission. And uh, great work in uh, in New York. Are you there? Luke 2? Luke 2, verse 10. I bet it's a very familiar passage to most of you. Let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. Would you do that? I'll read. You follow along silently. Verse 10 says this. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I'll bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today... In the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in cloths cloths and lying in a manger. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for tonight, grateful that we have a Savior that we can sing about, one that we worship and adore, one who works within us and transforms us so much that we're willing to go. We're willing to stay. We're ready to fulfill the place that you put us. We're ready to grow where we are so that others may know you. I pray that you take your word tonight and give us fresh and new insight to verses that we've all known all our life. And we know, Lord, that through a human instrument that's something that cannot be done, but by the power of your Holy Spirit, you're able to quicken your word. You're able to enliven your word to make it not only personal, but practical. And so, Lord, help us tonight, and may we leave this place different, deeper, more devoted to you. And it's in the worthy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In these three succinct verses, you pretty well have the message of Christmas. But, you know, this is not the message that we hear. Uh, I've come to the conclusion that, that the message of Christmas today is this. Buy more. Eat more. 
and go more. Uh, between Christmas and Thanksgiving, more people travel than any other time of the year. It's uh, Folks are always on the go, uh, especially the, the either the day before Thanksgiving or the day after Christmas. We're always on the go. But not only we, we go to visit family, but we're just plain exhausted. Uh, do you ever find sometimes during the holidays that you're just ready for them to be over so you can get some rest? Uh, you're going to, to programs and plans and events, and it's just sort of the schedule. Or we have that constant reminder of we need to eat more. Between Thanksgiving and New Year's, the average American, they've calculated, puts on seven pounds. Seven pounds. So if you are at three and a half right now, you're well on your way to hitting the mark. So uh, just a little discipline there. And, uh, but there's just so much good stuff to eat. And uh, you don't want to hurt people's feelings. But it's all the time people are shoving stuff your direction saying, eat, eat. Or the third message is buy more. I know you've not seen one Christmas ad, have you? What amazes me is these people who give those Lexuses. I don't know who's able to do that. Every time I see that commercial, it just goads me really good. With a red bow on that Lexus, and I'm saying, who in the world is going to go and just give their wife or their husband a nice new uh, multi-dollar Lexus? Probably you're, some of you are doing that. But anyway, well, my wife won't get one this year. I can assure you that. But it just sort of goes, well, okay, if that's, you can do that. But that's not the message of Christmas. In fact, what, is, what strikes me about what the angel said that night, it's a message that's not seasonal. It's a message that every month of the year, it resonates. And I want to talk about that tonight. Very, very simple message. If you'll look, please, in verse 10. He says this, And the angel said to them, Do not fear. The first message of Christmas is this. Fear not. Fear not. If you look at the Christmas story, do you realize that every major turn in the Christmas story, that is the message? When the angel appeared to Zacharias in chapter 1 of Luke, and, you know, he's there doing this priestly duty, and suddenly there's an angel of the Lord in the holy place, and it sort of scared him a little bit. The first word from the angel was, Fear not. And then the angel, Gabriel, appeared to Mary and said, I have some news for you. You're going to bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. She was fearful, but the angel said at the very beginning, Fear not. And then when the angel appeared to Ojo and said, I know that you know that Mary's expecting, and you have some, your suspicions, but I want to tell you that God is totally in control. She's a virgin. And that boy is from God himself. Fear not. And now these shepherds, on that night, when the, when the angel of the Lord stood before them, and you know, I wonder why, why they were so scared. I think I'd be scared. But, but I think of several things. It, I don't know whether it was the sense of being frightened by there's complete darkness and then suddenly there's light. Or was the light there really the glory of God? And the glory of God and the descent of his glory 
brings about its own conviction. And the only person in the Christmas story that was fearful but was never, never told, do not fear. Do you know which one that was? Herod. When he gets word, you know, gets a text message that says, you know what? There are, there are some magi here from the east, and they're saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we have come to worship him. And he, he twittered back and said, well, we got a problem here. And the scripture says, in the Greek it says he was terrasso, he was shaken in all of Jerusalem with him. But he never got the word to fear not. Because he had reason to fear. Because he was anything but a king. He was a sham of a king. He feared the real king. Can I tell you something else? You know how many times the word, the expression fear not is mentioned in scripture? 365 times. It's an interesting number. 365 times we're told to fear not. I know what some of you are going to do. You're going to go home and get your concordance. Don't do it right now on your phone either, all right? But every day of the year, here's the word. Fear not. Whatever's going on in the government and healthcare, and in the Middle East, here's the word, fear not. When you get a word that brings great sorrow to your heart, we know not what a day holds. Here's the word, fear not. He is the God who can quiet our deepest fears all year long. So the first message of Christmas is, help me here, fear not. Now look at the second statement. <clears throat> he says this, fear not for behold I bring you good news of great joy. Now let me ask you, what's really good news? What would you consider to be really, really good news? Well, the, the hype is we get things that we, we really want for Christmas, i.e. the Lexus. Or we get, uh, we get the new uh, iPhone, the uh, iPhone 5X, triple X, whatever it is. And here's the hollow consolation. You may get it now, but by mid to late January, it will be outdated and the six will be out there, and you'll get the iPad, and you'll have the, your iPad in synced with your iPhone, and then you'll get this new software that they will download on your phone and your iPad, and it will mess up everything that you did. Tell me that's not so. Well, the reality is, good news and the gifts that you get sometimes. They wear and tear and they break down before the new year. Sometimes we get buyer's remorse. Sometimes we get receiver's remorse. I read some statistic that, now, that's always a safe statement. That 60% of gifts that are given have been re-gifted. So just think. Somebody gave that gift to somebody else who gave that gift to you. 
So just pass it along if you don't like it. But you know what a really a great gift is? A gift that you have that two years later, number one, you remember what you got. But it is now a more precious possession now than, you, than it was when you got it. Now that's the gift that keeps on giving. I dare say that there's nothing that we ever, we ever get material that is more valuable to us now than it was five years ago. But he says, I've got good news for you. This is such good news. It is good news of, what's that next statement? Of great joy. See, the very, the, the object of giving a gift so often today is this, that we give a gift because it will make people feel good. But the idea of joy in Scripture is not so, so much the emphasis upon happiness, but an emphasis upon holiness. Not so much an emphasis upon prosperity, but purpose. And he says, when you receive this gift, it will not just make you feel good. Listen to this. It will make you good. You see, the power of the gospel doesn't make people feel good. It does something far, far in exceeding that. It makes them good. The gospel message is the power of God unto salvation. When Christ saved you, when he saved me, and I would say this on the night that I was saved, I didn't feel good because I was convicted of my sin. But when he saved me, he made me good. He changed me. Now, that was a great place for an amen. You just missed it all together. Let me back it up, and you'll, you'll know. The good news is not just something that makes us feel good. The good news is that which makes us good. There you go. He says this, it is good news of great joy for just some people. Is that what your Bible says? Good news of great joy for, try that again. Good news of great joy for what? All, everybody. You realize that is such great news. Whether you're working the Bowery Mission in, in New York or in a children's home in Calcutta or in the slums of Mumbai or in North Africa or in Honduras or the colonias in Mexico or in, are you doing street evangelism in Beijing? It matters not of the color of your skin, your race, your culture, your background. The gospel message is good news for all people. Aren't you glad we have the gospel that's good for all? Wouldn't you hate to know that you would share something and say, well, it's not good for you? 
This message is not for you. It doesn't apply to you because it won't make you good. It's not good news for, no, wait, 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 wait. He says this. This is good news of great joy for all people. Rich, poor, famous, obscure, educated, uneducated. But notice the third thing. Fear not, I'll bring you good news of great joy for all people. For unto you in the city of David there has been born a Savior. The third message. A Savior. Now, Look what he says. For today in the city of David there has been born for. What does that say? What's that next little phrase there? The preposition and then the pronoun. For you. Now who was he talking to? He was talking to the shepherds. Do you know who the shepherds were? You would not invite shepherds to your party normally. In fact, they were considered to be social outcasts. Some would call them socially deranged and backward. You just didn't hang out with shepherds. Most of the time, they spent their time with sheep. They lived a very lonely life. Most would relegate the shepherds as socially someone that you would never invite to a party. Don't we find it very interesting that that night the angel of the Lord appeared not to the famous, not to the educated, the eloquent, the in crowd, the somebodies, but to nobodies. You know why that's such good news? Because in reality, on the big scale, guess what we all are? A bunch of nobodies. We can relate more with shepherds than with magi. We can relate more with those folks who are outcast than those who win Super Bowl rings and all the other things that we clamor about in life and think is important. He said, for you. And you know what is so significant about that? Is that the shepherds were the first to know. You ever been to a party or, and you find out something that happened and everybody's talking about it and they look at you and they say, John Ringo, hey, did you know about this? And you go, no, when did that happen? Four months ago. And I'm just now finding out about it? Just sort of left out of the loop? But when you're really important and you want somebody to know, then it's on a first-to-know basis. Got to call them. Got to tell them because I value you. The God of heaven said those shepherds are on my first-to-know list. They're that valuable. Can I tell you this? You're on the first-to-know list. 
You're not last. You're not left out. You're first to know. And he says this. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior. In the city of David. Now, they knew what the city of David was. It was Bethlehem. And they were thinking, okay, he's letting us know that the baby was born in, in, you know, the baby's been born. That's, that's cool. I'm really excited about it. But he says, and the baby's been born in Bethlehem. Well, they were outside of Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a, a village at best, a little hamlet, some five miles from Jerusalem. It's the only town in all of Israel that's higher than Jerusalem as far as topographically goes. And most people would, would consider Bethlehem to be, you know, just a bump in the road. So when he said that the baby is born in Bethlehem, there are just not a lot of places you can go and hide. And then he says, and you will find the babe wrapped in, as the King Jimmy says, swaddling clothes, that we love that. You know what that really is? That's what shepherds wrap their babies in. This baby is just like your kids. There's nothing about him that you'd go, whoa. You know, you've seen all the beautiful pictures, portrayals of that birth. And we, we could easily find the baby Jesus. You know why? He's got this halo right over his head. I mean, it's, no. You know Isaiah says about him, Isaiah 52, he says, he has no form or comeliness or appearance that we should desire him. In other words, had they not received the word of the Lord, they would have never looked there. And when they saw a baby wrapped in poor people's, poor babies, peasants, garments and lying in a trough that most of the time has slobber and mucus and everything else a most offensive place but no doubt maybe those shepherds had put their babies in a feed trough before they said he's accessible accessible for us For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. All three of those words are really significant. The word Savior, it's not the word that most Jews related to. In fact, in the Roman culture, Caesar, Augustus Caesar, was called the Savior of the world. Are you aware there? And yet, whenever the word Savior is mentioned, it always has the connotation of something related to a larger group of people than just the Jews. There's a certain universality of the word Savior. A Savior who is Christ. Christ is the word Christos, which is the word for the anointed one. 
which it is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is the word for Messiah. Whenever a king was anointed, they would call him the Hamashiach. He would be the smeared one. They would put oil on his head and said, he is the anointed. So when they referred to, to one who would be the Messiah, they always, in the Greek they would call him Ho Christos, the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Savior of Israel. But look, notice that last phrase. Christ, what does that say? The Lord. This is God incarnate. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and you shall call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Those are four, those are four pairings describing both his deity and his humanity. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Who was born on that night? The most, incre- the most incredible reality. The Creator became into the world of the created. Now, I have studied this all my life, especially in my growing up years. And I just tell you, I still don't get it. The technical word for that is called the great hypostatic union. The reality is, Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man. He's as much God as though he were not man. He's as much man as though he were not God. Most of the time we think it's 50-50. But the incredible thing about the incarnation, the enfleshing, is that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word with, with and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh, incarnos. He dwelt among us. Well, that's a pretty significant word, wouldn't you agree? Here's the word: fear not. Here's the word. I got good news for you. Here's the good word. A Savior has been born. So what's our message year-round? Eat more, buy more, go more? No, here it is. Fear not. Fear not. Now, you listen to me. Let me tell you how important that is. When I got a phone call this afternoon that says one of my best friends who goes to India with me for seven years, seven times, has just been killed. I get that word this afternoon. I know Jim tonight is in the presence of the Lord. 
you know, I begin to, my mind begins to spin because we are already planning a trip to North Africa. And we had, things are laying out for mission trips and so on, and then God takes them out. Let me tell you what. Our God is able. And the fear that may grip our hearts, he breaks the grip, and we can live a life without fear. Fear not. The good news is that Jesus Christ changes lives forever. But the year-round message is not just that he, a Savior, is born. Here's the good news. The message is this. A Savior has died. He was buried. But hallelujah, he arose on the third day. May we understand this about Christmas. Christmas doesn't stop on the 26th. We move towards that event called Easter where we celebrate that this babe born grew up to be a man, lived a perfect and blameless life, was rejected. And in that rejection, he was crucified on a Roman cross. In that crucifixion, he bore your sins and mine. The sins of the world were laid upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be begotten the righteousness of God. All we like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of, the, of us all, and it pleased the Lord to bruise him and to offer his soul as a sin offering for us. He died. He was buried. But he lives. He lives. And for all those who believe on him, it is good news. It's good news that makes you good, that makes you different. And five years from now, if you've never trusted Christ, I'm going to tell you this. You trust him tonight. Five years from now, you're going to say, you know, he's better. <laughs> that gift is not worn out. It's not lost its sheen and it's not lost its shine. Forty years later, you'll say, every day with Jesus is still sweeter than the day before. It's the gift that makes us good. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. <clears throat> Dear friends, tonight, even as you're just pondering this, let me ask you this. Is your heart full of fear? Fear about the future? Fear about eternity. You've never settled this thing in your relationship with Christ. 
What better time? What better place? What better season than now? Would you be willing to say, dear Jesus, I am a sinner. And I cannot save myself. I cannot be good enough. There's no good thing in me. But Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you're the Son of God and you're God the Son. That you you paid my entire sin debt. I repent of my sins tonight, dear Jesus. Believing you not only died, but you were buried, you arose on the third day and that you live. And I put my trust in you right now, tonight. I receive you as my Savior. Father, we pray that your will be done. We pray that we would respond to the message that you compel us to respond to. Whatever the need may be for salvation, for comfort, for direction, for wisdom, for healing, for hope, that your will be done. All this we ask in the worthy name of Jesus. Amen.